Welcome to the Moments of Joy podcast. I'm your host, and my name is Camille Joy. And if this is your very first time, welcome to the show. So I have to say welcome back to my MVPs. You know who you are, and you know why I call you this. My MVPs are my listeners who come back every single week, and there would be no show without you. So I call you guys the real MVPs. Oh my gosh, this week is going to be awesome. And if you are a new listener, I want to invite you to go back and listen to all of the powerful testimonies that we have on this show, the many episodes that we have. I believe this is episode number 44. And on this episode coming up, I am interviewing a powerful young woman, and her name is Deani Edwards. But before we get to that, I want you all to do me a favor. If you are listening on the Apple Podcast Forum, please do me a favor and leave us a review for the show a written review. And what that does is it helps other people like you to be able to find us. Maybe you found us by word of mouth or social media, but once we get so many reviews, it helps other people who are looking for the same thing as you to be able to find us with, you know, people with like interests. So do that favor for me, guys. All right. Well, I don't want to prolong our intro, intro, excuse me, because we have a powerful episode coming in. So I'm going to get right to it right now. And um, as always, I will leave all of the social media outlets and where you can find our guests in the description of the show. So let's get right into it with Deani Edwards. Good morning, Deani. Welcome to the Moments of Joy podcast. I am so excited to have you. Thank (laughs) you so much for having me. You're welcome. Now, Deani Edwards is my glam sister. We are in the same mentorship of um, Prophetess Tiffany Moriar. And I had the pleasure of hearing Deani's story at one of our conferences and it was so powerful uh bless you yes and so i asked her to come on the show today because i know that someone out there would really benefit from hearing her story amen she is such a powerhouse in her own right and so we're just gonna get right into your story okay why not um yeah i guess we can start at your childhood um, Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you had um, that. That is where most of the things happen in your childhood, and so absolutely. Um, talk yeah. to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I grew up the youngest of four children. Um, I was conceived in wedlock, but I don't really have a recollection of my parents' marriage. Um, I was raised by a single uh, parent in a single parent home. 
And I remember my father being incarcerated during many of my earlier years. Uh, I was independent and sassy. I taught myself how to read and ride a bike. Um, but I was also very loving and affectionate. But um, I would say some of my favorite childhood memories took place in a condo that my mother owned. But suddenly we lost that home. Mm-hmm. And we moved into my grandmother's house with her new husband. Mm-hmm. And that's really where I think my story began. We didn't stay very long initially uh, because my mother was determined to reclaim her independence. So as a result, we lived in various homeless shelters throughout Connecticut. And we even moved to many parts of the South. Yet we always seemed to come back to my grandmother's house. Um, and Like many in her generation, my mother was a single parent and trying to take care of four children, she just turned to her mother for help. But unfortunately, my grandmother was being emotionally abused and manipulated by her husband. Mm -hmm. So from ages four to 11, I was raped and molested by my grandmother's husband. Um, I basically became his sex slave and Mm -hmm. lived in fear and confusion for a very long time. Yeah. Think mm-hmm. I I just wanted to pause right there and just say that right off of that, off of the rip of your story, it's so relatable to so many because Absolutely. so many people that are of our generation that have been through that. And and I'm like, wow, like listening to your mom, I have four kids very young mm-hmm. and, and I went back to my mom's. That's yeah. Too, you know, that, that's where we it makes the most sense. You know, that's where for, for, I definitely think in our community, that's where the strength is. It's in the matriarch of the family. So each person will turn to a woman in the family, typically their mother. And that's why I think a a lot of me and my friends can say, I was raised by my grandmother. I was raised by my aunt. And, and, and the understanding of the story, just like in, for you, Mm-hmm. It is very difficult to raise that many children on your own, really mm-hmm. one child on your own. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. I think a part of me wanted to believe that everyone knew what was going on with me and that maybe it was just going to be a way of life that I was bound to, mm-hmm. that maybe I was so unlucky or so out of favor and destined to live that way. But uh, when you get to a, a greater understanding of each person's role, my grandmother was living in her own version mm-hmm. of what I was going through as my mother, you know? Absolutely. And so you said from the ages of four to um, 11, you were molested? Yeah. Uh, as you stated, I, I gave my story uh, for the first time ever at uh, a glam conference. And it took me even after that, going back and and reflecting and in sitting through therapy, trying to pinpoint the first time that I was, you know, very blatantly speaking, penetrated. It mm-hmm. seemed like that was where things would get gray in my memory. But I can remember now that I was eight. What what stands out so so prevalent for me are very two distinct memories. One was me wearing uh, this ivory and green dress going to church and and we used to either call him one of two things elder king or Mm. papa and so i remember i was getting uh 
you just eating breakfast one morning and I was just like really excited, but also upset. Just saying, I want to go to church with Papa. I want to go to church with Papa. And so my mom let me get dressed, put on my favorite dress, that ivory and green. And I went with him and my grandmother to their church where he was an elder. Wow. And I remember the whole church just respond, just, you know, in all of how I was responding and how I, you know, uh, the, they felt like I had, you know, such a response to the spirit of God mm-hmm. and I was so young. And so he was just proud, mm-hmm. you know, he was just proud to make sure everyone knew me and met me. And I think at that point I was seven is when he became very infatuated with me mm-hmm. more. It, it went past liking, you know, this is my favorite step grandchild. It, it became in his mind that I was his girlfriend mm-hmm. and he's began to treat me that way. So I remember being eight and and it was not a full year of difference. It was just a few months. Mm -hmm. And I remember a few months after I turned eight, um, this is where you, you can really get into the mind of a person like this. There were certain parameters and things that you can and cannot do in this household. And he was able to manipulate it under the guise of, I just want my house to myself. There's too many yeah. children here. There's too much, too much noise in the morning. I can't get things done. So before these times, you cannot come upstairs. Before these times, you cannot go to the basement. Before these times, you cannot go to the kitchen. So in reality, everyone was um, in a set place. So he was able to ma- maintain control. So he didn't have to worry about anyone, you know, disrupting him in any way so he could do what he wanted to do with whomever he wanted to do. Wow. So I remember one time when I was eight, I had on a jean jumper and he was playing one of his games with me. He, he always had games that was sort of a, would scramble your mind up a bit. Mm-hmm. You could never truly win. Um, and this time, I guess he was just ready to take things further. So his bedroom was upstairs and we all knew the rules, but somehow, I guess my grandmother maybe came home early from work one day. So he's laying on top of me, has my legs dangling off the side of the bed, mm-hmm. and my jumper is, you know, halfway down. And my grandmother comes in, mm-hmm. she sees him, mm-hmm. and he doesn't, you know, jump up like, you know, someone would when they're caught. Wow. He just turns his head over his shoulder and glares at her. Wow. And he, he's very large. So I'm like squirming, not trying to, you know, move too much to get in trouble or get hit. But right. I just like try to peek over his shoulder to see her, thinking maybe if, if she sees me, she'll, right. she'll save me. But I could feel the fire in his eyes when he's looking at her. And her expression on her face when she caught eyes with me, quickly changed from worry to a sort of anger and jealousy. Wow, that's so interesting. And I think quickly in my mind, it, mm-hmm. it was like, maybe I am his girlfriend. Wow. And she turned around, she closed the door and she let him finish. I remember counting her footsteps on the stairs because they were wooden, so you can mm-hmm. hear, you know, they would squeak. And I remember counting each one and waiting throughout the process, thinking she's going to turn around. She's going to come back. Wow. And she didn't. 
Mm. Wow. I think um, when you, when you're in those moments, victims can't protect other victims. And after that day, I watched her crumble. Uh, She was very strong, but she wasn't what I knew her to be anymore. And when someone operates in manipulation, they can skew your perception to make you believe you didn't see what you think you saw or that the experience wasn't what you remember it to be. And he was very good at that. We had a Jesus statue at the bottom of the steps. So there was always a way he he could, he could use um, the doctrine he believed. He could use um, even scripture at times to really force the manipulation on everyone. And you, you would say, you know, maybe in conversation to someone else, he's crazy, but still everyone was stuck. Right. Well, you said victims can't protect other victims. That is such a powerful statement. Wow. Because even though walking down those stairs, it had to have crushed her. I'm sure. She couldn't protect you. Mm -mm. Wow. No, there was in, in, to anyone who perfectly has never had to, to be in, in this situation, but if you have, or if you ever lived or, or been in relationship with anyone who is a manipulator, mm-hmm. you, you can have a, a level of empathy for that moment be, because it's, it's, it's horrific as it is. When you are being controlled mentally, the mind is everything. If yeah. someone can take your mind, they can take your reality. And we, we all lived under a very distorted view of our reality during these years. Wow. So um, my childhood went on, you know, mm-hmm. There, mm-hmm. that was just eight years old. Mm-hmm. So around fifth grade, I, I was 10 at the time. Mm-hmm. I went to school directly across the street from the house. So it's very interesting yeah, how that my is. reality switched <laughs> very quickly. Wow. Um, by this time, I... I began to fight a lot more in school. I became a lot more aggressive. My emotions were on a very great spectrum. I was always up and down. I remember my oldest sister picked me up from school. My uh, sister who was three years older than me was already um, home. She had already walked from the bus stop. And so our oldest sister sent us down and just said, mommy left. Mm-hmm. she moved and by this point because we had we had gotten up in the middle of the night so much and moved on whim I knew what that meant right. I knew that she had moved down south she always wanted to be south and so I just I just was numb I really didn't have a reaction but my sister said that we were going to move in with her boyfriend's mom so her boyfriend's mom was actually a foster parent. So she was very used to having children in the home of different backgrounds and stories. Um, so my sister and I, um, the one that was only a few years older, her name was okay. Kavana. Mm-hmm. So Kavana and I were kind of like the, the joint connection. No matter how much transition we went through, we went through it together. So we actually loved staying at this woman's house. She, because she was a foster parent, she, she was, she was very patient with us. 
but she gave us our room to be kids. Um, next door was um, a bodega. So we would go to the corner store and we would just say, oh, we're so-and-so's kids and put it on her tab. We can get as many snacks as we want. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we just, we had these like two full-size beds that we put together to be a big bed in the basement. And never once did it really occur to us that we were living in the basement or there were clothes around us or anything like that mm-hmm. um, until our mom came back. Wow. Uh, our mom came back um, when I was in sixth grade, so about a year later. Mm-hmm. And that she stayed with us actually in that basement for a little while. And that's when it set in that we are living in a basement. Like it, it, every, the reality changed where it became, it went from being a refuge to being a, a place of confinement. Mm-hmm. And so I watched myself really drag emotionally Mm-hmm. But okay. um, I was in trouble in school because while I uh, I was I was a great student, like I said, I was aggressive. So I fought a lot, and because my mom wasn't there, we were in the the time of marking periods, where one marking period you take your report card home, right? Another marking period, someone has to pick it up, right? So mine had set there for several mm. marking periods, wow. so they were ready to call. Um, Child Protective Services at the time, mm. DCF. Mm-hmm. And I had luckily made friends with one girl in my grade, just one. Mm. And I used to, to play and sleep over at her house. And her mother had a very good relationship um, with the school because she had three children. And she walked in and she talked to them and she picked it up for me. And I started to stay with them a lot more because she had to make it look like I was really leaving with them and I was staying right. with them. And one day, because at this point we actually moved back into my grandmother's house okay. and that's when things got really bad for me. Yes. I tried to make myself look like a boy in hopes wow. that, that my grandmother's husband wouldn't be attracted to me anymore. Wow. So I would have my oldest sister braid my hair in straight backs. Mm-hmm. I would wear do-rags. Um, we got a lot of clothes actually from like Goodwill because that's where my grandmother like loved to shop. (laughs) That was her Mm -hmm. thing. So -hmm. people thought we were like in foster care well before anything. Um, So I would purposely like ask her for things. She, she didn't realize they were boy clothes at the time. And I, I, I made this like persona, like as if I was a boy. And then when I would go to my friend's house, her mom be like, no, 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 no. You're not just like this. And so one night we were in her car, she was dropping me off at my grandmother's house. And I started one of my long winded stories, you know, I'm a talkie. Yeah. And she, she was saying how, when she first met me, I was so quiet and I wouldn't say a word. Mm-hmm. And now I was so open. And then she's like, all right, D, we'll see you in the morning. And I just like muted very quickly. Mm-hmm. And she turned around and she, she said to me, why do you never want to go in this house? Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't say it. I, I think speaking the words made me fear a lot of things. We lived under the very heavy cultural colloquialism that what happens in this house stays in this house. Yeah. So yeah. I feared for everyone my, if I were to expose my truth. So yeah. I stayed silent and I just felt my body sink into the floor 
And she didn't make me answer. She just said, go inside and pack a bag. Mm. And I moved out and I lived with her on and off for years. I mean, even coming home from college, I would go to her house. Wow. That's beautiful. So that was, that was my way out. Mm -hmm. She she saved my life many of times. Wow. Thank God for her. That's awesome. Wow. Absolutely. I I believe God will always give you someone. So you have to be Mm -hmm. mindful of who those people are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to move on, um, around summer of eighth grade. It was the mm-hmm. big transition going into okay. high school now. Yeah. So I, um, believe it or not, I did not want to leave the school I was in. Mm-hmm. I was the bully and I was the aggressor. And I think in my own way, I wanted to finish the story. So much had happened to me, um, even though I wasn't living in the house anymore, I was back and forth between um, my second mom's house, because we don't call her foster mom, she's my second mom, and my mom had moved to one of the uh, suburban um, towns in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. So I was back and forth, and she kept telling me, you know, you can just go to school over here, you don't have to go to school in the city, but I was determined to, to finish the story. Mm-hmm. And so the summer of eighth grade, my sister Kavana sat me down and she talked to me about my life. Um, at, at this point, I still never said the words, but she knew. So she yeah. didn't make me say it. She just knew. She encouraged me and she saw this internal war going on. She knew I kept my pain to myself. So she said, we're going to work on your confidence okay. and we're going to throw away all those old clothes. And she took me at Kohl's. My mom drove us and we made this really big layaway. Now, my mom was the queen of sale and she was the queen <laughs> of layaway. Even when we made this layaway, she was looking like, you are not getting all these clothes. <laughs> but Kavana worked the entire yeah. summer um, for a, a child summer camp, camp. And she was very, very good with um, children with special needs. that was where her heart was Mm -hmm. and she had a lot of back pay and so she went to Kohl's right before my first day of freshman year and she bought my layaway for me wow and got me started on the right foot and to some it may seem like clothes but that was stripping me of the need for this false identity of 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 being boyish or um you know, being, trying to be stylish or trying to find my identity. I didn't know what my style was. Yeah. I never had access to the things that would even appeal to me. So at this mm-hmm. time I was very much into like Indiari and I wanted things that had flow and linen and <laughs> she just let me be me. She let me yeah. be me. She knew I like Converse and skirts together and she mm-hmm. just was like, go, go be <laughs> you. And I was the cool kid because I was the freshman with the uh, senior sister. She was yeah. the older. So all the seniors were like my big brothers and sisters. And yeah. they would talk to me in front of all the other freshman kids. And I just was so cool. Um, <laughs> I loved it. It was a yeah. very different reality. Um, but a few months into my freshman year, I had this great big start. Um, I wasn't allowed to date, but I secretly had a boyfriend. a kid from church and um he committed suicide 
Wow. And that was my first, uh, first time dealing with death in that yeah. way. Yeah. And I, I remember it, it broke me, but Kavana was so instrumental in helping me find my, my strength through that. And just when it seems like I was getting, you know, through that mourning process, a month mm. and two weeks after he died, mm. Kavana died in a car crash. Wow. My and goodness. So I, I felt myself regress heavily mm. emotionally. Yeah where I was starting to come out of, you know, this emotional turmoil and starting to find my pace, it seemed like the world around me crumbled. And I also had been, I I feared men a lot, Mm. but, um, and I didn't know if I I had, I had feelings of of wondering if my father was my father because Mm. he's very light skinned. And so was my mom. And so it was Kavana. Um, But we had met his father. So we met Mm -hmm. our paternal grandfather when I was about 11. And he was as dark as night, um, but the sweetest man. Mm -hmm. And it was the first man I ever interacted with that I didn't tremble upon meeting. Right. But four months after Kavana passed away, he died. Oh my goodness. So freshman year really made this really big shift. And it it was, it was while I was, was building, my Mm -hmm. mom was building. She was, she was active in in ministry and she was working through, you know, her past and, and her own way, helping us through ours because we had stability. Mm -hmm. Um, But she just couldn't, she couldn't pull herself together after losing Kavana. And she, um, understandably so missed a lot of days at work yeah her her job her job wasn't very understanding to that so Mm. she was let go and Mm -hmm. as a result we lost our home yeah and we were um we were homeless for a very long time after this Mm. so um for many nights I remember throughout high school I would we would park at a gas station gas station a town over um, from where I went to high school mm-hmm. and we would sleep at the gas station. She'd drive me to the side of my high school where you can walk straight into the gym. Mm-hmm. I'd sneak in there, take a shower, and then right. she'd drive me around back and I would walk on the side of the buses when I'd see enough load up and then walk into school that way to make it look like I just got off one of the buses. Wow, Diani. So I, wow. I did that, um, while I had many people, there was also, um, at the time he was actually a deacon at the church. Mm-hmm. He became the the next, um, great man in my life. Mm-hmm. And he became like, that is my daddy. You can't tell me any different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had another, another angel meet me. He, he was just everything. And mm-hmm. he, um, I, I stayed with, with him and his family, but a lot of times I felt guilty about leaving my mom. So I would, I would go back to wherever she was, whether it was the car, whether we had an apartment at the time. Um, But I was, I was homeless all throughout high school on and off. I took my SATs homeless. We stayed, my mom stayed up, saved up enough money to get me a hotel the night before. And we stayed in a hotel and she dropped me off. I remember having apple juice and some granola. She said, blessings. I didn't have any prep. 
I didn't have, wow. you know, any, any books to read. I just went in mm-hmm. and I took that, that test actually using um, one of Kavana's old graphic calculators. Cause I remember it cost a hundred dollars and that was a lot to us at the time. So we kept that. Well, let me pause you because yes. I'm crying. <laughs> no, <laughs> I never cry at stories on my podcast, but I'm just like, my goodness. And not to fa- forward you, you know, or push you yeah. ahead, but, but just knowing you now, Viani. Yeah. My God. He is able. Jesus. Yes. God, he is so good. Is this, uh, he shifted me. Such I a went from, story. yeah, I had, I remember we always, had our, our things in white trash bags. So I, people would always see my mom's backseat and never really realize what was there. We were living there. We would go to church like that. I, I always would just shift through the bags and pick out something to wear to the point where I knew if I had to do SATs, prom, and start college homeless, I, I would inevitably be battling this forever. So I had gotten into, um, as many girls would, you know, mm-hmm. if you, if you're from a city, you know, a guy, yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you know, a guy and you tend to, um, latch on to this guy. I think every one of my friends had a guy there. There was one specific guy in their story throughout high school in their early college years. Mm-hmm. And I, I wrapped up in one. I, I met him over the summer, actually, when my sister was working. Um, When I was in eighth grade, I was working, actually teaching dance at a summer camp. I met him there. He was um, a part of the music group. Mm -hmm. I remember my sister, Kavana, told me to stay away from him. (laughs) (laughs) And I did for a little while. And when my life was just, you know, seemed like it just kept falling apart, he was there. And... I think what I did was I, in my mind, the pain in his life qualified him to accept my pain. Yeah. So we connected on brokenness, Mm. but Mm. I knew if I stayed in Connecticut, the relationship would kill me. Wow. We had a very tumultuous relationship. We were young, but he was ahead of me in years as it pertained to what he was exposed to. And I went through a lot of betrayal during those years. Um, he, he had, he gotten many women pregnant. Then there was a guy who was like supposed to be my knight in shining armor and he got my best friend pregnant. Oh, and I just knew if I stayed mm-hmm. as much as I wanted to leave, I was never going to leave him. I was never going to fully sever the tie. I was always going to just come right back. So we were homeless at the time. So those same white trash bags we had, Mm -hmm. I loaded them up after doing one year in community college. And I took those white garbage bags and walked into Morgan State University. And I said, I'll come in homeless and I'll figure it out. And I did. I became a resident assistant to pay for Mm -hmm. my room and board. Awesome. Three years later, I earned my degree in political science. Awesome. 
Yay. It wasn't easy. God is good. Yeah. That is amazing. It wasn't easy because you know what was interesting about college now? Mm -hmm. It was the first time I had the opportunity to mourn. Mm, Wow. And because many times we were sleeping in a car and I knew I would, you know, just watch my mother cry. And Mm. I knew if I was crying too, it would just, it would break her. And never in, you know, I went through my, you know, my teenage years, I felt like I couldn't stand her and I resented her, but Mm. never ever did I ever want to break my mother. And so when I got to college and I was separate from everyone and everything, um, I think in a way God can use anything. Yeah. And so where the enemy attacked me was my sleep. So Mm -hmm. I would, I suppressed, I learned to manage my pain by suppressing it. And I knew what happened to me for all those years. You cannot forget, but I definitely forgot the details. Like Mm -hmm. I can describe to you now, I, I couldn't remember those things. Okay. And so I was sleeping and I kept waking up and I mean, full body sweats to the point where I would have to take all the sheets off and then wipe the vinyl on the bed down with towels because I was sweating profusely and I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't, I couldn't focus in class. I was afraid to sleep and it wasn't until maybe months in where the, the reenactments of, in my dream became clear and I could Mm -hmm. see his face Mm-hmm. And I turned into a mirror and I saw my own wow. and it clicked that mm-hmm. I wasn't having nightmares right. they were reenactments of all the rapes that I'd forgotten. Wow. wow. Because I, I was able to remember the molestation, but I had blocked out every rape. Mm. So yes. college was difficult, but uh-huh. I knew I couldn't let it, those things consume me because I had nothing to go back to. If I dropped out of college, I was going back to that relationship. If I dropped out of college, I was going back to homelessness. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the lives around me and it's, it wasn't to put them down, but it was to know that it wasn't what I wanted. Right. And so I stayed mm-hmm. and I pushed, I battled depression, anxiety, multiple suicide attempts, Mm-hmm. And I had to mourn my yes. ex-boyfriend. I had to uh-huh. mourn my sister mm-hmm. and I had to mourn my paternal grandfather. What was interesting is before I left to go to Morgan during my freshman year at community college, my grandmother's husband died. Oh, wow. So I also had to make peace with that. Right. I had to accept that I would never get an earthly justice mm. and that I also had to forgive. Mm-hmm. And that was woo, That's hard. That was the hard part. Yeah. Um, to, to truly not just say, I let it go. Cause mm-hmm. my dreams show me I didn't let it go, mm. but to truly say I forgive. And so I started on a process of what I would say healing by way of understanding. Mm-hmm. And I began to ask questions where I could handle it. And I also freed myself from having to speak to anyone or connect with anyone. So even for a while, I had to disconnect from my mother. Yeah. Because I knew that I I wasn't loving her with a pureness. Right. I I had a lot of resentment. I had a lot of anger. I felt abandoned. Mm -hmm. And 
when it came to my grandmother's husband, I could just never understand. I would look at pictures of myself when I was younger and I was just so small and I just had such this innocence and I just couldn't understand how anyone could do that to a child. Right. And um, it was very interesting. I came home on a trip, a trip home from school and there was a, a guy who went to my high school. We knew of each other, but by no means were we close. Somehow I ended up in his living room mm-hmm. speaking with his mother and his aunt to find out that they were actually siblings to my wow. grandmother's husband. Oh my goodness. And it, and it was because I was with a friend who was meeting, I think his girlfriend. It, it was, it was so strange. Wow. And I never told them what happened to me, but they told me about him. Mm. Mm. And to understand his story, to have a better understanding of what it was like for him growing up from what they could gather and even to pull from things that happened in my family before we moved in that house that I had never heard of, things that Mm -hmm. happened to my mother, things that Mm -hmm. happened to my sister, um, my oldest sister. Mm Mm-hmm. I was able to just piece together an understanding for everyone's plight. Right. It did not excuse it in no way, mm-hmm. but it helped me to, I think because I come from such a logical place mm-hmm. in, in my everyday life, I, I'm, I'm an emotional person, but I, I have to have a logical understanding to, to come to terms with the thing. Mm-hmm. So understanding everyone's journey, starting instead of seeing my mother as abandoning me and seeing her as a single mother trying to find her way in stability, I could understand and I could accept that. Seeing that, you know, my grandmother was also a victim of abuse and had actually fled a physically abusive relationship with my mother's father, I could understand how she got wrapped up in that. I began to understand. And then once I did that, I was more so able to truly forgive. Mm -hmm. Then was the very hard part. I had to unlearn the toxic responses to pain that was passed down through my bloodline. We are a very shut down type of women. Mm -hmm. We just you make me upset, you say something I don't like, my entire spirit shuts down on you and you can feel it. Something I'm still working on, the fine kinks in that. um, Our mentor gets on me a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Where I've I've definitely seen a progression though. Mm -hmm. And it takes being very honest with yourself when you're going through a process of healing because you have to come out of being the victim and understand areas where you've actually become the villain but then understand how you got to being that way. What Absolutely. made you negative? Um, and, and because I was able to do that, I was able to graduate college, get a, a great job, stop learning to um, put myself in a box of what I wanted. I only wanted to work in law, mm-hmm. um, but an opportunity came for me to work in a call center at a, uh, investment firm. Mm-hmm. And I, I was pious. 
I said, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't go through all this to work in someone's call center. Um, But my humility made room for me because in that call center, I was able to uh, go on and actually train with other departments, understand the business as a whole. And I appreciate the attorneys who I was originally working for who suggested I start there because they all started there. And they said, to be a great corporate attorney, you need to know um, the ins and outs. If you're going to work in finance, you need to know investments. And the best place you learn is the call center. And I completely agree. Um, In two years time, I watched my salary doubled. And then I faced another time because I think we, we get through, we get through all these great things. We hear these victory stories. And then we think that that will exempt us from future turmoil. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. life is still going to be life. And so I, I was at my peak. Mm -hmm. I was, I had surrendered, you know, my will to God. I had, I was also a secular backup dancer. I stopped doing that. Mm I, um, you know, was sewing into ministry more than I ever did. Mm-hmm. And then I failed an exam okay. and that exam was required for my position. So I had 90 days to either find a new position within the firm or I would be let go. Mm-hmm. So here's how you have to know if it's a test from God or a trick of the enemy. Wow. The attack of the enemy is always stability in my life. Mm-hmm. Because as you can see from my story, I battled with instability since right. forever. Losing my job meant I was going to lose what was stable in my life. I had just purchased a car, everything. I, I had been alone living in an apartment on my own for three years. I, would, wow. I was wondering how I was going to be able to afford that. Mm-hmm. Andre, I was I was very young, you know? Right, right. So I didn't have, still didn't have any help from family. When I, my family came down for graduation, one, my oldest sister was the only reason why they were able to be there right. <laughs> for her. She, yes. she um, rented a car for everyone to come down, paid for the hotel room. Mm-hmm. They gave me a dinner. My mom's choice was Joe's Crab Shack. <laughs> so we ate there. I had a hundred dollars in a car and they, and a card and they left. Mm-hmm. So I was on my own after college to figure it out. Yes. It was, it was joy for maybe three hours. Mm-hmm. So to have this victory of three years post-grad had, you know, tr- doubled my salary and had such stability, I didn't know what to do, mm-hmm. but I turned to God. Yes. And I said, whatever you have for me will be for me. I talked to my sister and she said, you're limiting yourself to a region. Mm-hmm. You found yourself in, in Maryland. You strengthen yourself in Baltimore cool, but why can't you look for a job outside of there? So I took the registrations that I did have. I put them into, um, as my keywords in indeed.com. Okay. And I searched New York city. One job had come up while I was working for the firm. They, I was in the call center, but they gave me the opportunity to travel nationally and represent the firm. So wow. I'm still being paid a call center salary, but I had an American Express corporate card picking up travel points at 23 years old. Wow. So wow. I knew that in truth, I was their token. Mm. I, I looked like diversity and inclusion. I presented well while still holding true to my ethnic authenticity. Wow. So I said, you know what? 
somebody else wants some diversity, I'm sure. Yes, yeah. I read one description that was very similar to what I was doing when I was traveling, but doing it for one uh, account. Mm. They wanted 10 years of experience. I had only been out of college for three. Mm-hmm. They wanted, um, but they wanted the licenses that I had. For many, other than that, I didn't qualify for this. This was the only job that I applied to out of state. My God, my God. They, <laughs> what my old firm doesn't know, and they may wow. find out if anyone hears this, is <laughs> they put me on a trip to New Jersey and Brooklyn. And the new company asked me to interview in New Jersey. It just wow. so happened that they asked me to do it on the travel day. Wow. So That's I awesome. went to interview on the old company's dive. <laughs> yes, that is awesome. And right when I was at the cusp of my cutoff of that 90 days, I got a call and they offered me more than what I had originally asked for. Wow. But before I could accept, cool. because my old firm was also trying to find ways to get me to stay and I, I mm-hmm. wanted to stay. Right. I called my sister who... Uh-huh. Um, is an HR business partner. And I said, tell me what to do here. She said, ask for 3000 more. I said, Oh my goodness. I said, I don't think you understand. (laughs) They asked me for more. They already offered me more. She said, ask for more. Wow. I called back. They told me it would take two days. I remember I drove on my lunch break to Chick-fil-A. It took me 30 minutes. By the time I got back to the garage, they called me and said, it is yours. Wow. And it's beautiful. I, what was interesting is I told you the trip was to New Jersey and Brooklyn. I interviewed in New Jersey. The position moved me to Brooklyn. Wow. And so God was aligning me and showing me the entire way um, yes. that he was always going to be with me. And so I went from being excited that they doubled a salary um, to making six figures. Yes. Yes. And I had just turned 25 when I That is amazing. I have goosebumps. Wow. Oh my goodness. God is so good. (laughs) He's amazing. He's amazing. So he took me from homeless to wholeness. He took Mm. me from uh, abuse to refinement. And and I can, I can never, uh, I can never repay him for what he did for me and who he brought into my life. If it wasn't for Prophetess Morier, you would never know this story. Mm -hmm. I never told a soul. Absolutely. I I was actually, the way I actually got to glam, Mm this will be my last one, is I, I had, been in a relationship. I met a man just as I was um, graduating uh, college and we fell in love very quickly. We had plans to elope at the end of uh, a specific year Mm -hmm. and we were preparing to be married. Mm -hmm. We broke up. I fell deep into depression. Mm -hmm. It seemed like everything that for my past was just boiling over. And that it was one night I became so hopeless that I attempted suicide by three different methods. Mm. I woke up. um, It was actually 
an, a different ex, um, one who I was actually with throughout college, who called the police and I woke up in a hospital bed, actually cut oh. a hospital bed. Mm. They were like, we don't know what she gonna do. Mm-hmm. And they had me in, in, um, in the psychiatric unit. Mm-hmm. I woke up in pain. I was sore. My, my stomach was just so queasy. My throat was, was raw. And if I remembered the many different ways I tried to take my life. Mm. And after that experience, I got up and went to work the next day. Wow. I only knew how to survive. Mm-hmm. And I heard, I heard Glam was coming to Baltimore to do an experience. I'd known Prophetess Moyer my entire life. life. I actually used to backup dance for her. Wow. Um, and I knew my only way that I was going to live is to find my way back to God. Yeah. So I made my way to Glam. And I was prophesied to by prophetess uh, Valerie Moore Burris. Mm-hmm. And I actually, that, that broke so much off of me. Mm-hmm. One, the nightmares stopped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I got, I actually got back into that relationship a month after glam with the intention of getting married at the end of the year, mm-hmm. June of that year, I started having nightmares again. Wow. And I knew the relationship. Was, mm-hmm. was the cause. Mm-hmm. I ended the relationship for many reasons as well. Mm-hmm. And I got into the mentorship program um, mm-hmm. at the top of the following year. Mm-hmm. If it weren't for glam, if it weren't mm-hmm. for the ministry, because you can get delivered, you can get a prophecy, but then you look up and you say, now what? Yeah. yeah. At the, if it weren't for the mentorship program and for prophetess Morier just taking me under her wing the way she has. Yes. I would not be alive. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. And she, she required me to get a church home. Mm-hmm. I, my pastor is Bishop Jason Nelson. Although I live in Brooklyn, he pastors me here. Mm-hmm. I can attend virtually. And I've, I've, I've never had what I have now. This, this strength of community for, for where God has me now in my journey. I've, I've had people who have been there and been my village, which I will be forever grateful for. But when God is moving in your life in this way, you need a different type of surrounding. And I, I thank God for it. Wow. I, I am blown away. This is, this is podcast number 44. And um, I have never cried. It's like this in a, in a show. Um, oh. It's like stirring up so much inside of me. Um, even in you sharing your story as prophetically speaking to me, um, I, I you and Shakira Newton Levy, um, <laughs> I know have, Shakira. I yes, um, have have blessed me for my right now, and um, this is such a story of triumph. This is such a story that shows the mighty hand of God. You you are a black woman making six figures, and and. I mean, it's not even about the money, but where you came from. Yeah. That God is able to do anything. And and Absolutely. you are encouraging people to reach past, you know, where they even see themselves. Um, I have so much respect for you 
in your family. You guys are overcomers. You guys are beautiful cycle breakers. And um, I am just blessed that you uh, outpour on this podcast today. And, and if I am um, blessed like this, I know that somebody's life is going to be changed. Amen. Um, I thank you uh, for releasing today, Diani. Absolutely. I just have one last question for you. Of course. Um, as you wrap up, I just would like for you to give people personal um, encouragement. There's someone listening that sees themselves in your story that hasn't been able yes. to find healing or deliver mm-hmm. yet. And so how can someone find that and, and what should they do if they, they're, they're at that place of suicide and not being able to shake the memories and not being able to um, get free from the entrapment? They, you first have to believe there's no stagnation in this season. God will always give you an exit. If you're feeling helpless or stuck, the exit is near. You have to shift your perspective. You cannot control what you're born into, but you can control how you rise above it. You have to understand that both good and evil dwell in the earth. Though your pain may not be God-induced, he can surely use it for his purpose. You have great value. Don't believe the lie the enemy is whispering in your ear when you lay down at night. You are not alone. You are not forgotten. Don't judge your worth by what you haven't accomplished so far. And just release your will for God's will. I think I never struggled with the fact that my sexual abuser was an elder in the church. So if if you've decided to shift from God because something happened within the church or connected to the church, you have to come back. Mm-hmm. His, his life nor his title were a representation of Christ or the cross. You serve a living God, not people. Again, there's no stagnation in this season. You are as free as you choose to be. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the freedom in our mind is enough to change our situation. So begin to monitor your responses and it'll shift your perception. The one thing I did for this year is I made my prayer wall. I made space in my room and I wrote out my intentions for the year and I wrote out my declarations. I did this, something similar to it in a notepad when I started on my process of healing. Because like I said, your your experiences do not keep you. They do not um, exempt you from turmoil. So it'll seem like, wow, I'm getting through this thing. There's another, there's another. Your harvest is on the other end. So what you have to do is remember, remember why you're on your path. Write out every time you're triggered by something. Write out every way that you responded to it. And then compare that to how people in your bloodline have responded in the same way, or maybe even responded to you in that manner. You'll start being more aware of what's going on internally. You cannot change them, but you can change how you respond to them. I took a time in a season where I made no apologies from separating for anyone. Separate people from position and titles, whether it's mom, brother, aunt, whomever. It's not that you are dishonoring them, but you cannot truly love them with the love of the Lord until you find peace and wholeness within yourself. Monitor your responses and shift your perception. And I'm believing God with you. Amen. Oh, what a blessing. Thank you so much, Diani, for absolute pleasure. A guest today. Wow. Wow. I'm speechless. Well, 
that is it for this episode of the Moments of Joy podcast. I love you, Annie. We will talk. Oh, I love you so much. Thank you so, so much, genuinely, um, for giving me this opportunity to speak and speak into the lives of people. You're welcome. Love you, and we'll talk to you soon. Love you, too. Oh, I hope you enjoyed that episode just as much as I did. Wow, the power of God, the power of his healing, his restoration, his victory, that no matter what it is that we could go through in life, that he will see us high, that he will heal us, he will deliver us, he will keep us. Thank you, Diani, for gracing us with your story, being brave enough to share your story with the world. I know that you blessed somebody today. All right, guys, that's it for this episode of the Moments of Joy podcast. We're up every Wednesday, so come back and check us out next week. Bye-bye.